Welcome to Public Policy This Week, a well-rounded weekly discussion of policy issues that frame today's American experience. Good morning. It is Friday, November 25th, and you've joined us for Public Policy This Week here on KYMN Radio. Public Policy This Week is a show dedicated to the discussion of comprehensive, integrative public policy issues and possible solutions. Here we stay away from politics to the greatest extent possible to focus on policy. And we bring on guests who are experts in their fields to learn about policy challenges and opportunities. Today's hosts are myself, Joe Moravchik, and Bruce Moreland. Bruce was a co-host with Alan Anderson for four years on the KYMN Climate Show and still writes a monthly column in both the Faribault and Northfield newspapers. And Joe is a retired police officer and longtime coach and administrator of athletic teams. He has also taught courses including police science, and Joe was once a candidate for the Minnesota State Legislature. So, elections seem to be simple enough, right? We learn who the candidates are, what they're about, what they're promising, and then we, as an electorate, get together and vote, and the candidate with the most votes wins. Well, we'll see today if elections are really that simple. Today on Public Policy This Week, we have two guests joining us to discuss voting and elections in Minnesota and introduce us to a concept some of our listeners may be familiar with, but likely most of our listeners are, listeners are not, the topic of ranked choice voting. First, we have Aaron Zamoff with us. Aaron is Director of Communications and Public Affairs for Fair Vote Minnesota, a nonprofit that advocates for election reform. Prior to joining Fair Vote, Aaron led the Minnesota chapter of Moms Demand Action, the largest gun violence prevention organization in the country. Prior to her, pro- to her nonprofit leadership, Aaron practiced law and provided training on employment laws and practices. She's a graduate of the University of Virginia School of Law. She is passionate about helping others find their voice to advocate for effective solutions, whether for an improved workplace, for a safer community, or for a more effective democracy. Also with us is Tim Penny, known to many of us as a former United States congressman who represented Minnesota's first congressional district and who is now president of the Southern Minnesota Initiative Foundation. Tim's extensive background complements many of the Initiative Foundation's key interests, including the areas of early childhood development and economic development. Tim is co-chair of the Economic Club of Minnesota, co-chair of the Committee for Responsible Federal Budget, and serves on the board of Parent Aware for School Readiness. He has authored three books, including Common Sense, The 15 Biggest Lies in Politics, and Payment Due. Aaron and Tim, welcome to Public Policy this week. Bruce and I are in the KYMN studios in the heart of beautiful downtown Northfield. Aaron, where are you at this morning? I am coming from Edina, Minnesota, and thank you so much for having me and having this important discussion. We had a guest on last week from Edina and spent probably too much time talking about hockey <laughs> because of how good it is there. No no fear of that for me, although I am a fan. Uh, Tim, where are you at? I'm in my office at the Southern Minnesota Initiative Foundation in beautiful near downtown, west side of downtown, Owatonna. Well, welcome to you both. We're, we're glad to have you today. 
All right. Well, as we stated in our opening, the issue today is elections and voting, and in particular, a proposal to fix our elections by putting ranked choice voting into play. Before we go there, let's review what's broken about the current processes. Uh, One question that often enters into our discussions is, why do we have only two viable parties? And part of the answer to that is, with few exceptions, the U.S. political system is set up for two major parties because it awards seats in Congress and the presidency with a winner-take-all method. Candidates running for Congress need only get a plurality of the vote to be elected. French sociologist Maurice Duverger theorized in the 1950s, uh, which his uh, Duverger's law, which states that third parties can't compete because there's no prize for winning even 15 or 25 percent of the vote. So why is this a problem? And Tim, would you like to go first on that? Well, I will, but you pretty much described it. You know, <laughs> our system is set up to reward uh, two choices um, because it is a winner-take-all circumstance. Uh, but philosophically, there's sort of two trains of thought about the size and the scope of, of government, and that has uh, traditionally historically defined the, uh, the two major parties. Uh, on certain issues, trade may be one of them. Um, even civil rights uh, would be a, a, another. Uh, the parties have kind of shifted positions over time, uh, but the dominant uh, role of the Democratic Party is to advocate for uh, safety net and government involvement and and um, and the Republican Party more about local control, more about controlling the size of government, uh, typically more business oriented. Um, so th- those two themes have defined uh, the Democratic and Republican parties for many many years, and um, and it and it's hard as as you stated in your opening remarks for a third party to garner. Um, uh, substantial support to become competitive with the, the two parties that have st- sort of staked out the broad swath of kind of leftward economic and 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 uh, taxing uh, viewpoints and uh, more conservative uh, economic and taxing viewpoints. Okay, Aaron, do you uh, do you see the problem the same way then? Well, for sure, I agree with all of you how you've laid out the issue that we we have a problem, and I think voters understand that, and that they're really hungry for more choices. Um, we're 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 seeing gridlock, right? Preventing action on so many issues, increasing incivility, even extremism. I would say in our politics, um, and we see more elections where candidates are winning without majority support. And so I know we're going to get into ranked choice voting in just a bit, but it is just a simple common sense change to the ballot that can meet these challenges because it ensures leaders are responsive to the majority of voters, um, allows you know new ideas and new candidates to run without having the vote splitting effect, um, and really encourages um, candidates to focus on the issues rather than personal attacks. And, you know, right now with this first past the post system, um, there's just a lot of finger pointing rather than collaborating to get things done. Um, and so so there's dysfunction in our current system and voters are seeing it. And then secondly, we're seeing extremism. 
So it's not just that things aren't getting done and people are frustrated that they don't have more choices, which you all pointed to, but voters are actually feeling anxious about our democracy. It seems like this sort of concept that, you know, pundits sort of dismissed it as an issue. But in a poll released just before the election, voters cited threats to democracy as the top issue facing the country. And so I would say that voters are smarter than politicians and pundits think they are. They're looking for solutions. And so ranked choice voting is a proven reform that we can implement to address those issues right now. And, and if I can quickly tag on to Aaron's comments, uh, just to reiterate that the two broad philosophies sort of define the, the two major parties, uh, and it, it hasn't left a lot of room for competition, but because they have dominated the system for so many decades, it has allowed extreme voices or activists within each party to pull the two parties farther from the mainstream. Um, but because they have dominated our political system for decades, they have enacted election procedures that reinforce the, the, uh, the advantage that the two parties uh, uh, have in our system uh, by making it much more difficult for a third or a fourth party to even get out of the ballot. So the two major parties um, have kind of gamed the system to protect their duopoly. I'm, I'm sure we're going to get into that more talking about gaming the system, but I have to tell you that when I'm giving my talks as a retired veteran who has sworn an oath to defend the Constitution, I draw little swirls on the left and right that represent the activist echo chambers of the two political parties, and I tell people that my oath to the Constitution does not allow me to defend it from either of those two perspectives. So it's the high polarization that is making i think is a big problem there so yes Joe. hey tim why do you think jesse ventura in 1999 was able to break through as a third party candidate what do you think yeah, do you I, think it was the mood of the electorate what maybe his the, his big personality what are your thoughts about that um as is true in most cases there there's no one factor that you can point to it was a, a confluence of factors that that made his campaign uh, viable and ultimately successful uh, one is that all through the, the the 1990s there was growing disenchantment with the two major parties mm -hmm. and growing concern about fiscal irresponsibility uh, you may recall that uh, Clinton won the presidency with like 43 percent of the vote uh, Ross Perot um, received like 24 percent of the right. vote here in Minnesota, uh, an even larger share of of the vote here in South Central Southeastern Minnesota. So he was a key factor and gave voice to sort of uh, those folks that were increasingly upset with both major parties. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the decade, um, it, you. Uh, you saw each of the major parties nominate someone uh, while they are in other ways good and decent people and good and decent public servants. They sort of reflected politics as usual. Um, they were like career politicians in both cases. And, and Ventura uh, sort of tapped uh, the, the public view that enough is enough. We need to try something different. Mm -hmm. uh, and to his good fortune, uh, given his um, 
uh, uh, colorful background, uh, he had name ID. He didn't have to spend a dime to get known. Uh, and so all he had to do was to, to, to be there and stake out the middle uh, while his two adversaries argued with one another, attacked one another, and uh, reinforced in the minds of the voters that that's the problem. And so they sent a message by voting for Ventura, who, who received somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 percent. Uh, would he have won with ranked choice voting? Maybe. Maybe because a lot of Republicans might have preferred him to the Democratic candidate and vice versa. Um, uh, but we we can't know that for sure. But what we do know is that while he won and um, uh, it was uh, an interesting period in American uh, politics, to, to say the least. And uh, I don't want to go down the road of explaining the Ventura administration. No, but, sure. Right. Uh, I, I, uh, I did like his cabinet. I did like a lot of his policies. Um, but um, but he won with a plurality, and we're trying to break away from that because too often uh, in Minnesota we have statewide elected officials that are winning with a plurality of the vote, which doesn't um, doesn't mean that they they have any kind of uh, obligation to the majority of the voters that didn't vote for them because they can win without a majority. Wow. Well, I'm going to take us back here now. One of our proposed solutions and the one that we're here to discuss is ranked choice voting, RCV. Um, Aaron, this seems to fall right in your wheelhouse. Uh, you want to explain to our listeners what we mean by ranked choice voting and how it works? Absolutely. Um, and, and I would like to talk about that, the, our current plurality system and, and, and independent parties running in, in just a bit. But why don't I right now just tell you what ranked choice voting is. So ranked choice voting, um, sometimes called instant runoff voting, it allows voters to rank candidates in order of preference, first choice, second choice, and so on. If a candidate receives a majority of first choice votes in the first round, that candidate wins. However, if no candidate is able to earn a majority, then the candidate with the fewest first choice votes is eliminated, and these ballots now instantly transfer to those voters' second choices. And then this process continues until one candidate reaches a majority and wins. So it's like a runoff, but it happens in one cost-effective election when turnout is higher and more representative of the community. And um, just to you know, give you a quick example of something that's in the news right now, um, there's a lot of southern states that require majority winners, and they have runoffs. And so in Georgia, just a 2% split by a third-party candidate triggered a runoff in Georgia in the Georgia Senate race. Ranked choice voting would be much simpler, cheaper, and fairer than a second election, which typically sees fewer voters. So I, while I applaud those states that required majority winners for some of the reasons that we've talked about, um, having ranked choice voting would accomplish that during a period when most voters are focused on the election um, and ready to turn out. Um, and I will just note that Georgia already uses ranked choice voting for military and overseas voters. Um, and military and overseas voters cast RCV ballots in federal runoff elections in six states. Wow, so they're, um, they're in there already. Yeah. 
I mean, at least for military and overseas voters. I mean, think about how much money is going to be spent on attack ads and everything else <laughs> in um, in the Georgia election and how much better ranked choice voting would be. And then just to, to briefly go into the benefits, um, under, you know, w- we talked about what, what um, Tim was just talking about. Under our current system, the candidate with the most votes wins um, whoever's first past the post, even if they haven't earned a majority. You know, we've gotten used to this idea. Like we talked about Jesse Ventura winning with 40 percent of the vote. We've gotten used to this idea that it's OK to win an election with just 30, 40 percent of the vote, even when the vast majority of voters would have preferred someone else. Um, and so it can allow when you have multiple candidates in a race, it can allow a more extreme candidate with a committed base to win. Mm-hmm. And then when you have independent or new parties try to run and offer new ideas and competition, um, like Tim referred to, people say, don't run. You're going to be a spoiler. You're going to take votes away from my candidate. So ranked choice voting really stops that vote splitting or spoiler problem because you can rank your favorite candidate first and then use your second choice as a backup in case your favorite doesn't have enough support to win. Right. Actually, I'm going to clarify something real quick. Uh, Mr. Penny, you you talked about plurality, and that means if I've got three candidates, one with 40 and the other two with 30 and 30, then the one with 40 wins, which means in theory 60% of the voters didn't like that person enough to vote for them. And in a majority system, you have to have at least 51 or, you know, 50 plus percent of the votes, which is where the instant runoff or or, uh, ranked choice voting picks up that information. Or you can do like Georgia does and run a second election at great expense. Um, So I just wanted to clarify those two terms for people. Yep. Thank you for doing that. Uh, And um, I I think Aaron did a great job of uh, explaining why in a democracy it would be best if we have candidates winning with a majority support but why the current way of doing that in many states is to have a separate runoff election um, at great expense uh, a few weeks later or a month later um, with maybe fewer voters voting that second time around so how does that make it more valid than the folks that voted on the original election day. Uh, So ranked choice voting uh, gets it all taken care of on the same day with the same voters. Indeed. Well, we we hear then about ranked choice voting and that it gives people more choice and more power, and it requires candidates to build broader majority coalitions. Any other big advantages of the system? My sense, and Erin can jump in on this because um, she's... uh, She's more current on a lot of this than I am um, because she's working for uh, Fair Vote Minnesota uh, and I'm just kind of volunteering my time and my voice to, to this cause. Uh, but I, I really believe that, uh, well, first and foremost, I, I think it will decrease polarization um, and, and make it more likely for uh, candidates somewhere closer to the sensible center to, to come through the process. Um, 
and it, that may not always be the case, but I think it increases the likelihood that we will uh, not have extreme candidates from either party uh, winning on a plurality um, uh, and without majority support. But I think it also will temper uh, and tone down our politics. Because if you want to be somebody's second choice, probably not smart, smart to be out there with attack ads, making villains out of your opponents, uh, because then their supporters are less likely to, to choose you. So I think, I think it will have the beneficial effect of making our campaigns and our campaign um, uh, messaging more civil. Tim, you're a veteran of both the Minnesota Senate and the U.S. House of Reps. You mentioned polarization. Have you ever seen it like this? Polarization Not like it is today? Not as bad as it's become. Uh, you know, I came home from Washington 28 years ago. How's that for showing my age? Um, and I thought it was bad then. Uh, but, you know, during the dozen years that I had the honor of representing Southern Minnesota, uh, we passed uh, immigration reform the last time it ever uh, was addressed, uh, Social Security reform. Uh, we need to return to that issue mm -hmm. now, but we bought ourselves about three, four decades of solvency for that program. Uh, we passed tax reform, cleaned up the tax code without adding a dime to the deficit. We passed the Civil Rights Restoration Act, the Americans with Disabilities Act, Clean Air Act, Clean Water Act. I'm listing all of these rather significant pieces of the legislation, but the reason I'm, I'm giving you this list is every one of those bills was passed with significant bipartisan support. Mm. So while I thought it was bad then with polarization and, and, uh, and partisan politics and interest groups injecting too much of their will into the process, it's grown so much worse in recent years to the point where when you look at a major piece of legislation today, first of all, it may not pass because of the gridlock. Uh, but secondly, if it does pass, it almost always passes on a party line vote. And that just, that just doesn't bring us together. And it doesn't make a policy sustainable because we continue to argue about the policy even once it's enacted because of the way it was enacted down a party line. Indeed. Um, you want to? Yeah, uh, Aaron. Where has RCV been tried, and what is the result or feedback of where it has been tried? I think we lost Aaron. Aaron, Aaron you have to you unmute. I apologize. I'm <laughs> it so happened. Sorry. Hey, would you uh, like me to repeat that question? No, I I, I could hear it. Okay. So I apologize. <laughs> um, We'll so just blame I, it I on Rich. Wanna, <laughs> I, I, I do want to expand upon what um, Tim said about polarization, but I can answer your question first. Um, so um, really, momentum is growing for ranked choice voting um, across the country. So by the end of this year, more than 50 jurisdictions will use ranked choice voting for their local elections, more than double the number that used it in 2020 as well as the states of Maine and Alaska. Um, and even more jurisdictions will be using it in 2023. You probably heard that Nevada just had a ballot measure and, and they just passed it. Now they have a, for citizen initiated ballot measures, they have a two-step system where they have to pass it twice in, in even years. So it will, be on, it will have to go on the ballot again, but um, the voters, despite actually both, 
both political parties coming out against the initiative, voters understood that this is a pro-voter reform and they voted for it. So that's, it's very exciting. Um, and so um, I, I can talk more about this, but I wanted to jump on what Tim was talking about with the polarization and what he has seen and witnessed since he was in Congress versus what's happening now. And I will just say that the research absolutely supports what Tim is talking about. Mm -hmm. So there was a recent study that looked at polarization across 12 different democracies, including the United States. The United States experienced the largest increase in polarization among the 12 countries studied. So Tim's lived experience is also showing up in the data. And so Americans are aware that this is happening because they're seeing that the gridlock, they're seeing that things aren't proceeding, they're seeing all these attack ads. Um, I was talking to Joe earlier on the phone today and he was saying he had to turn the TV off because he's so tired of seeing the attack ads on TV and social media. Um, I think we all saw a lot of them leading up to the election and I think voters are tired of it. But the problem is that under our current system, when you just have to be first past the post, you benefit from demonizing your opponent. You benefit from dividing the electorate. And so the great thing about ranked choice voting is it fundamentally changes the incentives. As Tim explained, it incentivizes candidates to campaign positively based on the issues that matter to voters rather than on personal attacks. They really behave differently when they benefit from second or third choice votes because they don't want to attack their opponent and alienate, you know, risk alienating their opponent's base voters and risk losing those second choice votes. So in ranked choice voting, it's the politics of addition. Your goal is to build the broadest coalition of voters. And you do that by earning both first choice votes from your base and second choice votes. For sure, you can disagree with your opponent on the issues. But the candidates that do better under ranked choice voting are those that actually focus on the issues and not on personal attacks. And if you don't mind, I'd like to just give an example of this with Alaska. So oh, I was going to ask you about Alaska, <laughs> but go ahead. Is that okay? Yeah, go for, go for it. So as you may have heard, so there was a special election where Mary Peltola won. And, and I just want to say that Representative Peltola was almost the perfect ranked choice voting candidate. She campaigned very effectively under ranked choice voting, voting. First of all, she already in Alaska had a reputation as being a consensus builder. And she had great relationships across the political spectrum, including, I might add, with Sarah Palin. They were friends. And then she focused relentlessly on the issues. Her mantra was, I'm pro-fish, pro-family, pro-freedom. And so the voters were very clear on where she stood and she didn't attack on her opponents. Meanwhile, Republican Sarah Palin and Bedkid spent all of their time attacking each other. So that and the system, 
I might add. So that's a recipe to lose under ranked choice voting. So Peltola in the special congressional election in August defeated Palin. Um, she made history as the first Alaska native elected to Congress as well as the first woman. Um, but she did that by focusing on the issues, billing a diverse cross-party coalition, and importantly, earning enough second choice votes from Republican Nick Baggage, who had been eliminated to earn a majority. So to me, this showed the power of ranked choice voting. It giving more po power to voters, they will take the opportunity and express their preference. Okay. If I can just jump in for a second, and, and I know this is not a, a, a perfect example, it's, it's more illustrative. Uh, and, and I also know that ranked choice voting isn't invariably going to deliver, um, you know, the, the perfect candidate. Um, but I think your example in Alaska is one that, that makes the, the case very effectively. Uh, but I think back, I'm kind of a, a history buff. I think back on all the books I've read about um, Abraham Lincoln and how he got the Republican nomination. He basically positioned him to be he positioned himself to be everybody's second choice uh, in that balloting, and you know, uh, hard 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 to uh, argue with uh, the uh, the result with one of the greatest presidents um, at a very critical time in our nation's history. Um, but it was kind of a ranked choice voting approach that that uh, that occurred at that Republican convention that year. <laughs> That, that is an interesting insight. Um, I have a question for you about the 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 uh, Alaska example. Can I can I cover the example? Yeah, okay. absolutely. I it, think it, it's important now. Yeah, it turns out that the two candidates that split the Republican vote had sixty percent of the support, but neither one of them ended up winning. So the Republican Party, which had a majority, lost out to the candidate who didn't wasn't Republican. So that will be, I can guarantee that'll be on handouts at every Republican convention. Because interestingly enough, when I mention ranked choice voting at Republican gatherings, there's always a resounding cry of one person, one vote. And that's like a bumper sticker, bumper sticker mm -hmm. level argument against it. So there's a faction in the Republican Party that has heard of ranked choice voting and has concerns about it. Indeed, in the 11 page document they call a platform, uh, the specific prohibition is we support the prohibition of the use of ranked choice voting in the state of Minnesota. Meanwhile, in the more modest six-page Democratic platform, it says we support the use of ranked choice voting, also known as instant runoff voting, for state and local elections. So do either of you have any notion to how this became so political that the two parties have agreed to split the issue like a red line, a bright red line like that? I, could, could I take a sure. first stab at that? Sure. Um, so first, what I would say, first of all, is that the reform, ranked choice voting, is nonpartisan, right? It simply guarantees that whoever the winner is has earned a majority. So I would put back on opponents is it that you have are are fearful of earning that majority to support um 
And on the one person, one vote, and I, I just want to also clarify that courts over and over again, including the Minnesota Supreme Court, have ruled that ranked choice voting is constitutional and fully consistent with one person, one vote. You have one vote in each round, so you don't have any more than one vote. And so it is constitutional. It is one person, one vote. Um, I do, though, Bruce, think we we need to make sure that we're speaking to everyone across the political spectrum about this. And so I do think it's problematic that that is in the Republican Party platform. And what I would say that there are many Republicans across the country, including in very red Utah, that have fully embraced ranked choice voting, Republicans in Alaska that have fully embraced ranked choice voting. And so I think, you know, it is a new concept. And so if your tendency is to be small C conservative, I can understand, you know, sort of the initial reluctance to change that sort of, I think, probably endemic to conservatism. But I also think that a lot of conservative voters want more choices. And I, I think a lot of Republicans would like to have leaders that represent the majority of the Republican Party. And so if you have a crowded primary in a Republican primary, you can get um, you know, someone out of the primary that actually doesn't represent the majority of Republican voters. You could get better candidates and have more success um, if you had ranked choice voting. And so what I would say is I appreciate you bringing this up. And so we need conservative voices in a democracy reform movement to be on board with ranked choice voting. Yeah, I think this issue um, at this stage has played out the way so many issues do, that if one side is against is for it, then we have to be against it. Uh, And and early on, as ranked choice voting uh, came came on the scene, um, it was embraced uh, more rapidly by people on the more liberal side of the uh, spectrum. And it was implemented in um, localities, um, Berkeley, California, um, I believe San Francisco, uh, Minneapolis. And it it created sort of a brand that it was coming from more of the liberal side of the uh, um, aisle. And I think we need to to overcome that. But the, the thing that gives me optimism is that, as Aaron said, there are uh, uh, locales and states in the nation, Maine would be another, that are not considered uh, liberal bastions, and they have embraced it, and they have found that it works well for them. And as all voters of every stripe are becoming more frustrated with negative campaigning, uh, the, 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 the virtue of ranked choice voting is it offers the promise to take the heat down, take the temperature down, and give us a more civil uh, political discourse. And also, it's hard for anyone to argue uh, that we would be better served if we have elected officials in major office that are supported by a majority of the electorate, not uh, a plurality which could be as little as 35%, 40%, 45%. 
uh, all of us, I think, appreciate and understand that uh, we will be better represented and our democracy will work better if we have people in office that can se secure a broader base of support. Aaron, I want to get back to that Alaska election for a minute. What is the learning curve for RVC? A primary complaint from Alaska was that RVC was confusing. Voters simply just didn't understand the process. Can you comment on that? Absolutely. Uh, so what I would say is that a um, couple of things. As voters use it and as even as candidates and politicians become more familiar with it, the more they like it. So with every, almost every jurisdiction that has polled voters using ranked choice voting, the vast majority of them say they find it easy to use and that they prefer it over the old system. In fact, Alaska just polled voters using ranked choice voting in Alaska and 79% said it was simple, easy to use. So, um, and I will add in Maine, um, when, when the Democrat in Maine won in a ranked choice voting runoff uh, back in, I guess, 2018, um, Bruce Poliquin, who the Republican who had run against him, had been very, very critical of ranked choice voting. Well, he has changed, he changed his tune. He said, you know, we didn't, we didn't understand it, but we understand it now and voters get it and it's easy to use and it works well in Maine. So that's the other thing I would say is that once candidates understand it and have used it, they come around to liking it better and for sure voters like it better. I mean, pretty much every poll where RCV, ranked choice voting, has been used from Alaska to New York City and Minneapolis to Maine, they say it's easy and they prefer it. Folks, uh, Rich Larson, I'm the news director here at KYMN Radio. Uh, I have asked very politely, and Joe and Bruce have allowed me to ask a question. Um, and actually, Joe just asked about half my question, but I'm going to ask this question anyway. How has, where it's been used... How has ranked voice, uh, ranked, ranked choice voting affected voter turnout? The way I see it, just as we're list as I'm listening to this conversation, I talk to a lot of people who tell me I don't vote, my vote doesn't matter, what's the point? And I see what we're talking about here as a direct response to that attitude. But I can also see people shying away because of the learning curve that Joe was just asking about. So. What? How, and Aaron, I'll, I'll, I'll pose this to you, but Tim, I'd like to get your thoughts as well. Rich, that's a great question. What I would say about voter turnout is that voters are pretty savvy, and so they tend to vote when their vote matters. And so you you get the highest turnout in the most competitive elections. And the thing about ranked choice voting is that it does bring more competition into the political marketplace. And so you have independents, third parties can have a better chance because voters know that if that, if the independent candidate is their favorite candidate, they know they can vote for that candidate and don't have to worry that their vote's going to help the candidate they like the least. So it brings more competition in. 
It means that your vote matters. You can mark your preference. Now, um, in any ranked choice voting system, if you want to just vote for one candidate, you can. But your vote has more power and more sway if you rank all the candidates. And so what we have found is that um, turnout actually improves. In fact, in the recent ranked choice voting elections we had in five cities um, in Minnesota recently, uh, there was record setting turnout um, actually in Minneapolis. Um, and while for sure the ballot measures about policing had an impact on that turnout, the turnout for the race for mayor was even higher than for the ballot measures. And that's because Minneapolis voters understand that their vote will matter. That's a really and good, that's a really yeah, good example. I think Aaron covered it really well and gave you some very clear examples of how it does uh, instill more interest in elections uh, when your choice does matter, when there are more choices, uh, but uh, you, you don't, um, you don't have to give up on the candidate or the message you prefer simply because they have no chance because in a ranked choice system, they still, they still matter in the final outcome. And, uh, and you do make a difference. Uh, you know, as a, I used to be a Democrat when I was uh, in politics years ago, I'm an independent now, but I often go into the voting booth not happy with the candidates being offered by either of the major parties. Um, and, and yet, I, you know, I'll find a third party candidate, a libertarian, whatever, just just to uh, just to cast a ballot and, and to send whatever message that sends. But I think there are a lot of people that just have this plague on both their houses attitude and they stay away from the polls because they, they don't think it makes a difference or, or one party's too far out of the extreme uh, in one direction, the other in a different direction. Uh, and um, and you. you you, you end up not having their voice in the mix at all, uh, and it ought to be. Uh, I know in, um, in Minnesota, there's been some grousing about the Green Party taking votes from the Democratic Party. Well, if that's true, ranked choice voting, you know, uh, gives them a chance to, to cast a, a second choice vote. But in the recent uh, election in Arizona, the Libertarian candidate pulled out about a week before the election, um, and um, but they, they wouldn't have had to if they were ranked choice voting because they would have then known that they had a second choice available to them on election day. Um, so I really think that there's a, there's a lot to be said for giving people choices that allow them to reflect what they really think uh, and then a second choice in the event that their candidate um, uh, is, is not successful they, they can then have an influence on the candidate that is ultimately successful and become part of the, the mandate and the message for that other candidate. If I could just follow up a little bit, Tim, on what you're talking about, um, at least in theory, how do you think this would affect uh, the candidates that we get uh, for office? Because uh, for, uh, you know, for, for the 
it is my opinion, at least, that we don't necessarily get the best and the brightest running for uh, uh, running for office anymore. Joe obviously uh, uh, ran for a couple of years ago, and, and he's an example of the best and the brightest that we did get. I was going to say the exa- exact opposite. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, you know, and, and even going back in 1994, I can rem- remember how disappointed I was when a congressman named Tim Penny decided not to run again because he was such an effective, uh, uh, an effective congressman and somebody who I think represented a good voice, but you know, decided to get out of the game, and I understand why. Do you think that this could, I'm just going to ask the question like this, do you think this could improve the uh, the quality of the candidates we get? I think Aaron has already given some examples of where it's uh, produced candidates that are uh, more able to, um, more able to sort of uh, row in the middle of the stream. Uh, and... Um, and has been disadvantageous to candidates that have been uh, farther to the left or farther to the right. Um, uh, you know, I, um, I I don't know that that will always be the case. It just depends on the electorate in the locale or the state. Um, but I, I do think for people that are um, that are not beholden to uh, the interest groups in either of the major parties, it gives them more of an opportunity to carry forward the message that they would like to carry forward instead of feeling like they have to tailor their message to the base. And uh, so I think in that sense, uh, it it could and should help um, enlist uh, more interest on the part of people uh, who are not simply um, campaigning as a mouthpiece for the dominant interest groups in, in their respective parties. And, and can I add one thing? I totally agree with what Tim just said. I will just add, our current politics are, are pretty toxic, right? It's, it's a tear-down system. You see that the negative attack ads. And I would say that you know, a, a sane person might not want to jump into that. <laughs> you know, um, I think it probably discourages some folks of goodwill and from entering the arena because they are, you know, really don't want to engage in that. In particular, um, people who might be more centrist that are on, not on either side, but have some great ideas it may prevent them or discourage them from running in the first place. And then you have, you know, let's say you have candidates running who are two great candidates and maybe they're coming from the same community and they're worried about the vote splitting. So I do think ranked choice voting would also encourage um, and perhaps draw better candidates for people to choose from. Let's take a quick station break. You're listening to Public Policy This Week on KYMN Radio, AM 1080 and FM 95.1, broadcasting from downtown Northfield, Minnesota. I'm Joe Moravchik, and alongside is my co-host Bruce Moreland. Rich Larson, the news director, is with, with us as well. We're talking with Aaron Zarmoff, Zamoff, excuse me, and Tim Penny about elections and voting in Minnesota. Additionally, Aaron and Tim are introducing us to ranked choice voting. 
Okay, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to my my own personal experience, uh, which is that the echo chamber litmus testing party activists usually have one or two people who can even understand ranked choice voting, who spend all of their thinking on validating their platform position and browbeating other delegates into sitting down and shutting up. It takes real passion to stand against them. So how do we defund, so to speak, the activists so we can get real action? In other words, how do we beat the, how do we play the political game to get to the goal we're trying to reach? Tim, do you want to go first? Yeah, maybe, um, Bruce, you could rephrase that because it, it all sounded like we're, we're talking about um activists at the what the, the nominating level or yeah, yes that's exactly i'm talking about the yeah. the, the activists that well, go i don't to the know conventions. i don't know that there's an easy fix for that um because that's really where they can exercise and and, and have the greatest exercise their their influence and have the greatest leverage um but i i do think that, um, in, and I think we saw some of this in the most recent election, that um, when the activists, that, that in, in many races, the, the candidates that catered too much to the activists on either extreme did not succeed very well in, in the general election. Um, and, um, and I think that that would be increasingly true in a ranked choice voting system, where in the general election, because people do have that second choice ballot, uh, it would make it even more difficult uh, for either party uh, putting forward uh, polarizing and, 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 and uh, out of the mainstream candidates, because that's not where most of the swing votes uh, are going to go in the final analysis. Can I can I add something to that? Yes. Um, uh, What's fair votes strategy? Well, in the in the a couple of things, I I do want the the Alaska model is a little different from what we're trying to pass here in Minnesota. So I do want to get into that. But but back to the the candidate quality, and I I made this point earlier, but I, I really strongly believe in it that in in the primary having to earn a majority could be game-changing for both parties. You would have, at least in the primary, leaders that have been elected and supported by a majority. I will note that those uh, representatives that voted not to certify Joe Biden's election in Congress, most of those um, members of Congress in their first run for Congress did not win a majority. So what I'm saying is that the sort of most extreme members um, of the Republican Party that voted not to recognize Joe Biden's election did not win a majority in their first primary. Now, once they were incumbents, they have the power of incumbency and that affects elections differently. But that first primary, when it's an open primary, it can have a huge impact, both on the right and the left. Um, could I just quickly um, describe the difference between the two models, between Alaska and Minnesota? 
Sure. Would that be okay? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so Alaska has a slightly different model than we would use here in Minnesota. Um, in Alaska, they have an open primary where you just vote for one, and it's the top four proceed to the general election where they use ranked choice voting. Um, we actually have ranked choice voting for Minnesota legislation that was reintroduced last session. Ranked choice voting in that legislation would be used both in primary and general elections for state and federal offices. And then it would give local, local jurisdictions the opportunity to use it if they want. So it gives a choice to localities and it would implement it in um, federal uh, for federal and state offices. Um, anyway, so I just wanted to make that distinction. The Nevada uh, ranked choice voting that just passed basically follows the Alaska model where they have an open primary, uh, but they have a top five move on to the general election. And then the main system is more like what we would use here in Minnesota. Boy. I uh, feel like a kid in a candy store with too many choices. <laughs> so That's why you're in the right place, Bruce, on the policy discussion. So. <laughs> All right. So um, I, I noted in your report, I, I went to your website, uh, that the 2019 exit polls in St. Louis Park, 70% of the voters want to expand RCV to other local and statewide elections, just as you described. This is almost at the threshold where voter sentiment can override the deep pockets of the activists. In this, people, in this case, the people who are actively against it. Is there political traction in this data, or did the politics get in the way? In other words, is 70% even close to a useful threshold that I can use in my op-eds? Um, so we have actually quite a bit of support in the Minnesota legislature for this legislation. Uh, we had... It, we had several, we had a bill and then we had clone bills. So we had the most authors of any other bill last session. So there is broad support. Um, and we've always historically had bipartisan support. So we are going to be pushing for implementing ranked choice voting statewide in Minnesota this session. There is a real hunger for it. Um, across Minnesota, there's a real hunger for solutions across the country because people are really feeling, wanting solutions to strengthen our democracy. So we're not seeing the extremism that we saw recently and we've been seeing in the polarization. And, um, and we can get this done. We have a real path to do it and we can do it this session. It's very exciting. <laughs> it sounds like it, I guess. So well, we're we're getting close to wrapping things up here, uh, Tim. I do have a quick question for you, just based on all of your political experience. Was the red wave ever going to come? As you thought about the approaching election during yeah, the fall, I, did you believe that there was going to be a red a wave? I've told these guys around here in Minnesota that there's no way that was going to happen, but you might have a different opinion. Yeah, I, uh, I. I don't pretend that I've always been the greatest political prognosticator, but I was on a different radio show uh, about a month before the election, uh, 
a much and, better radio show. Uh, and, and, <laughs> and I said at that time that uh, I thought that the the mood uh, favored Republicans, but I didn't think it was going to be like a tidal wave. Uh, I thought a more modest uh, victory on, on the part of the Republican Party, which is where we ended up. Um, I also shared on that radio show that I had other friends who uh, pride themselves on being expert pundits, uh, and they were they were buying into the big wave theory. Um, but I I think a, a variety of factors uh, played into this, and one is that all the talk of the red wave did as much to motivate Democratic voters as it did Republican voters. So it was really kind of an offset. The other thing is that in most wave elections, you might pick up 20, 30, even 40 seats, but virtually all of them by the narrowest of margins, a percentage point or so. And virtually all the seats that came up short this year were in that range. So wave elections don't mean that it's a landslide uh, for the, the uh, out party. It often means very narrow wins and an awful lot of races for the out party. And this year that didn't quite shape up. Hmm. Interesting. Aaron, Aaron, wrap it up for us. Give us a few closing thoughts about RVC. Um, So what I would say is that Minnesota voters are really looking for solutions. People are tired of the toxic politics. They're tired of the extremism. You know, people didn't believe that democracy was on the ballot. It really was. People don't like when politicians and others say that your vote doesn't matter. And I will just say we spent a lot of time at the state fair uh, at the end of the summer. And I talked to voters, you know, across the state, people from across the state come to the state fair a lot of voters, all different political perspectives. And I heard from so many voters, we want this. Hmm. I don't like either party. I'm frustrated. They're not representing me. I want this. And so I'm, it was very, it's so great to talk to voters and hear their perspectives and know that they understand what's going on here and they're they're ready for it. They're ready to have ranked choice voting and have more power and better choices. Well, this Excellent. has been an interesting and great conversation. Uh, we've got to wrap it up here. Uh, Aaron and Tim, Bruce, Rich, and I want to thank you for the conversation and insights. And that will conclude this week's edition of Public Policy This Week. We're on KYMN Radio, AM 1080 and FM 95.1, each Friday morning from 10 to 11 a.m. I'm Bruce Moreland, and my co-host today has been Joe Moravchik. The objective for Public Policy This Week is to inspire important, meaningful, in-depth conversations about public policy challenges and opportunities, staying away from the high-volume, rhetoric-filled conversations that are so commonplace today. And thank you for joining us today for Public Policy This Week. We'll be here again next Friday at 10 a.m. Have a fantastic Friday afternoon and a superb weekend. Take care. You've been listening to Public Policy This Week. 
Tune in every Friday morning at 10 a.m. for more conversation with policy experts. Remember, this show can be found on your favorite podcast platform or stream it from kymnradio.net.